humanity all have sin and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. And I reference Isaiah's experience in the temple. And now we come to verse 1, and he says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Now this first voice that's speaking is singular. That you is a male singular. You will say in that day, I will give thanks. It's kind of speaking to the individual heart. It's going to be balanced at the end with a feminine singular at the very end of this passage. And so man and, and woman together joining to say, we need God. And we need his salvation. And why would God's anger need to be turned away? Well, only if man is truly guilty of sin. But it's also a day of comfort that we are rejoicing in. For atonement has come. That's pictured again back to Isaiah 6. You can read that later. But the way that Isaiah is sent forth and sent out, it's because he, his sins have been atoned for. He's been made clean, not of his own volition, but of God's great work. So God doesn't leave us on our own, and our salvation is not in part, but it is the whole. So, can you save yourself? I would say you cannot. I can't save myself. Only Christ can do that. So, he's our salvation. He's also our security or our surety. Look at verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The singular continues, but it's beginning to look upward and outward. Behold, look, consider, God is my salvation. Now it's the fuller scope of that is in view. And it's more than just eternity, but today. To know Christ today and to make him our claim. And this is an echo of Exodus 15, too, after Israel had come out of bondage in Egypt. And they've, they've seen God's salvation in a very real way, a very practical way in, within. And Don McClure was a Presbyterian pioneering missionary in the 1950s. And he was serving among a people group in Ethiopia. And he was... Relating how different those Christians were from others in their tribe who would always go to the local witch doctors when something uh, happened when they needed medical attention. They go to the witch doctor. But this one Christian brought his son who had been out fishing and was bitten by a poisonous puff adder. And the father calmly brings the boy to McClure, the missionary. To treat him. And I imagine he had some medical um, training as well. And he said, gave him some medicine. He said, if the medicine will not help, the father says, if the medicine will not help him, then our prayers will. And if he dies, our lives are in God's hands. That's the father speaking. And McClure was just astonished by that. And he tells the father that the boy's going to recover. But he kind of asked him, he said, Why didn't you, kind of joking with him, but seriously, why didn't you kill a sheep and pour the blood on your son as you would have done three years ago? That's what the witch doctor would have told him to do. 
and would have hoped, I guess, in some sort of way that that would work. And the man raised his hands above his head in horror, like, like, no. He said, that was in other days. Now we believe only in the blood of Jesus. He had come to a place where he could say, like Isaiah says, I will trust and not be afraid. That can only be true if indeed you are trusting and you know Jesus Christ. Because I can't secure myself. Christ is my only claim. Finally, Christ in this section is Christ is our satisfaction. Uh, verse 3, now this is plural. All right? uh, with joy, y'all will draw water from the well of salvation, wells of salvation. Now we're all joining together and with joy we're going to draw water from that which only can be received. And so while we must claim it individually, it has to be true of us corporately as well. Because we never, at least as far as I know, as far as I've experienced, we don't remain individual in our experience of God's grace. I've said this multiple times. When we do our membership interviews, and we're going to have on August 27th, all of our new members stand, and if they're here, and uh, give those membership vows publicly. But one of the joys is, as elders, we get to hear God's amazing grace, how he's worked in people's lives. And hopefully you over time get to hear those things as well. Our experiences don't remain individual, though we experience them as individuals. That joy is shared. And that's something I've become passionate about. uh, I don't know, over the last couple of years is just sharing joy with one another. That's how it's meant to be experienced. It's not something I just keep wrapped up to myself. Romans 15, 6 says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we come to do. To join together, to share our joy. And Christ is our satisfaction. He's the one who satisfies us. And I, Dad, I don't know if you remember this, but I still remember when I got my wisdom teeth when I was six, uh, removed when I was 16. And waking up uh, from that, I felt horribly parched. Um, you probably remember after the fact and the, the, the healing that took place. But I remember that moment, you know, you wake up and they, they've had your mouth agape, you know, and you've not, you, know, you haven't had anything to drink. And you feel like thirsty like you have never felt before. I still remember that. Maybe some of you have had a similar experience. I think that's been true of when I've had surgeries and those sorts of things as well. And you know what? When they give you those little ice chips, those things are precious, right? Those little ice chips, those mean the world to you. Because that thirst is being satisfied. And that's exactly what the Samaritan woman experienced, isn't it? She experienced the deeper thirst that was going on in her life. Though she had just gone down to the well by herself at a strange time, kind of an outcast, but she runs into Jesus and Jesus offers offers her living water. And she says, oh, that's great. Tell me where I can go get that. And he's basically saying, it's right here in him. 
And the beauty of what happens in that story, though she had been an outcast in her community, she receives that living water. She's satisfied, but she's not content to just say, oh, well, I know where to find that for myself. She goes back and she starts telling her community. Let me tell you about the Messiah who quenched my thirst like nothing else, like nothing else in this world. And we have to acknowledge that part of our temptation, and our sin is to constantly dip our buckets into the wells of the world. And we keep thinking that water will quench our thirst and we keep being disappointed when it doesn't. And so we go to a different well and we dip our waters there and we find, well, that one's not satisfying either. I'm still thirsty until we find that satisfaction in Christ. And ultimately, he becomes our salvation and our security, and our satisfaction. And in the wilderness, and it was reflected in our hymn of preparation, uh, after Exodus, God provided water from a rock. And in the time of Christ, God provides water from the one who becomes the rock of our salvation. So you'll not find lasting satisfaction in this world, but you know where it's found in Christ. And so that becomes our claim and so we begin to express that and we want to express that as a church and so if christ is our claim then he must be the one that we proclaim he's the one that we share and i think i shared this last week obviously weddings and anniversaries have been on my mind and um now lydia leaves um (laughs) i think i mentioned our vows and i've got it on audio cassette if i can find a cassette tape if anybody a player anybody could help me i remember our vows were based on Ruth 1, and I think I fumbled them a little, she says. I, I'm a little afraid to listen. Uh, there were those words, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go. From where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And of course, that was Ruth to Naomi, but those were the vows that we took. And obviously, you could express that. I could express that on that day. Uh, But I don't think it would fly if I said, if Lydia said, hey, you know, you haven't told me you love me in a year or two years or three years. I said, you know what? I did that. Remember back on August 8th, 1998? Would that fly? I don't think so. Wouldn't be standing here. Right? So while I might have stumbled on those vows proclamation is something that's joined with action isn't it it's not just something we say it's something that we do it's something that we become and so we want to do that at north hills to give voice and expression to the work that the lord has done in and for us and live that out and this is a two-part hymn isaiah 12 so verse 4 continues and you will say in that day Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim the name that is exalted. You hear the imperatives. This is the unified voice of the community of the redeemed. It becomes the fellowship of the Lord's people, and they are commanded to live this out. Do this. This is the part. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds. Proclaim his name. That's what we're urged to do. 
And so what are we encouraging one another to do? And here's where I get a little more practical. But based on this, what do you do? Proclaim thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. I don't know about you, but I need regular reminders to give thanks because it's easier to grumble and complain, isn't it? There's plenty for you to grumble and complain about. But I need reminders, and part of corporate worship is a reminder that there is much to give thanks to God for. And so that becomes an expression of grace, our giving thanks, and it's expressing our humility that what we receive from God is a gift. We also want to continue to claim Christ. Call upon his name, it says there in verse 4. The reality is that we are prone to forgetting the importance and source of our salvation. So while we desire to proclaim the good news of the gospel, we constantly need reminding of our own need. And so we call upon the name of the Lord. Every week, every day, we need him every hour. And if he's the only one that satisfies, that truly satisfies, it means I'm never going to get away from that. I don't ever get to say, you know what, I'm good this week, God. I got this. Why don't you take a break? Can you imagine? I mean, we don't actually say that. But are you, are you not tempted to live that sometimes? We are. And so uh, the expression of, our grace, of grace in that becomes our centrality of the gospel here at North Hills. I'm always, I've, I said this when I first came 14 plus years ago. That if I ever stop preaching the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ, kick me out. And I'll remind you of that again. If I ever stop, you ever start hearing something that's different, kick me out. Thirdly, we proclaim God's work. Make known his deeds among the peoples. And then also look at the end of verse 5. Let this be made known in all the earth. The extent of our proclamation is wherever people exist and the praise of God doesn't. And so this is the fuel of our proclamation is the reality of what God's done in and through us and is going out. So we ex exist to express God's amazing grace to our neighbors. So, yes, we do that locally. Look on the back of the bulletin. You see who we're supporting locally, also seeking to support foreign missionaries as well. And so what becomes the expression of grace in that? Well, it's our commitment to sharing the gospel evangelism it's our commitment to hospitality welcoming people into our midst it's our commitment to mercy invitation partnering last week we got to hear from a wonderful ministry always endure and we're looking for ways to partner with them on their community care days which is september 30th so if you want to be involved with that let me know and the ministry that we engage in so we proclaim god's work as we go out or as we help to partner with others who are going out all around the world we proclaim God's glory. Our aim is to glorify God as the sole source of salvation and the one to whom we must yield. And so we proclaim and we say, hallowed be thy name. And so we worship. And we don't just do that by nature. That's something we have to build into our lives. So what's the expression of grace there? It's living for God's glory, not our own. Lastly, <clears throat> sing praises to the Lord. Look at the beginning of verse 5. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Our singing of God's salvation through uh, what God has done, through faith alone, receiving Christ, expressing that, it lets the world know. Now, whether they hear it or have ears to hear it, I'm not in control of. 
but it lets the world know where our praise resides. And so uh, the expression of grace is our commitment to worshiping corporately. There will be things that take us away. It sometimes will be health. It will be circumstances that we don't control. It will be travel. But generally, our expression here is to come week by week to build that in, to sing praises to our Lord because we're commanded to do so. And if the little ones can lead us, then can we not lead the world around us? Because we're all serving the same God. Isaiah 1, 4. Ah, sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, offspring of evil de- doers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Hear that phrase? Now, listen to what Isaiah 12 says. twelve six. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is the final shift. It goes from, again from corporate to individual. It's the feminine singular, and it has that balance. Remember Miriam sang. We remember Mary sang. The single woman as a picture of the bride of Christ, who's ho- the Holy One of Israel in their midst. And so what do we do? We shout and we sing for joy in a Presbyterian fashion, of course. That's who we are, and that's what we're called to do. And so what I want to be written on our faces is something like this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, Paul writes, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. Or consider what John says in 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we will, shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. So let the countenance of our face begin to show who we are in Christ, knowing that there is more to come. And we will sing with joy. We will shout with joy. And it will be good. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. And we do pray you continue your work here at North Hills. And we thank you for the expressions of grace that we're able to have. That's not because of us. It's because of you. It's because of your son who fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. And as well as the ones in the new that we await. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.